Good morning, J.A. It's good to see you this morning. Man, I love worshiping God with you. What a wonderful time it is for us to be here together. Glad that you have taken the time out of your day, out of your week, to start the best way that you can. Coming together, being with your brothers and sisters in Christ, and worshiping God. It is good. It is good for us to be here together. And again, I am happy. I'm personally happy to be here with you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Uh, grab a Bible somewhere, either on your phone or if you've got your own personal copy, turn to Ezekiel. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one that's on a black uh, book in front of you, and that's on page 742, I believe, or 724. I'm dyslexic, so it's one of those two. I think it's 742, though. Uh, so if you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter 37, uh, we will be there in just a few moments. I want to remind everybody that next week is Super Sunday. It's a little bit of a special day that JA has done for a long time. Uh, there'll be a church eat church uh, next week. So if you don't know what that is, here's kind of what we're going to do. Uh, we'll have a regular nine o'clock Bible classes. All our Bible classes will be normal. Uh, kids classes and adult classes uh, during a worship period. We're going to talk about the, the theme of being equipped. How has God equipped us to do the job that he wants us to do? Uh, and then we'll have a meal over in the Fellowship Center or our gym. Uh, and then following that meal in the gym, uh, we will also have a, a devotional period uh, for probably 25 minutes or so. Uh, and then we'll be, we'll be done for the day. So I hope that you'll come and be a part of that with us. Invite your friends to come and be a part of that. Uh, that'd be a good, quick, in, easy in introduction perhaps to, uh, to church and worship with us and, and the family here at J. So take advantage of that opportunity. Again, normal times as far as the morning goes, but right after that meal in the Fellowship Center, uh, we'll have a devotional period, 20, 25 minutes or so, uh, and then we'll be done for the day. So next Sunday night, 6 p.m., there is not a service. So uh, you can come, but nobody else will be here. Uh, so that's, that's up to you, okay? Ezekiel, what do you know about Ezekiel? Uh, maybe a lot. Maybe you're very familiar with Ezekiel. Maybe you're not very familiar with Ezekiel. So I want to take just a few moments and tell you a little bit of the background before we get to Ezekiel 37, which is towards uh, the end of this, this book of Ezekiel. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 1, we read that uh, Ezekiel has been taken captive by the Babylonians. Uh, so, so Judah, which is uh, the southern tribe of the divided kingdom of the Israelites, the, the kingdom of Judah, has been uh, attacked by the Babylonians. Uh, and they, they come and attack Jerusalem, the capital of Judah, a number of times. And this first time they attack it, uh, they take away some of the people. They spare the city. They set up what is basically a puppet government uh, that is someone who, who in theory could be the king of Israel, uh, but it's someone who totally listens to uh, what the king of Babylon says and does exactly what they say. So they, but during that time, that, that first deportation, they take people out of Israel and they take them to Babylon. Ezekiel is one of those people. Now, when we think about Babylon, some of us, especially if we're Bible students, or we probably all heard of uh, Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den, he's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to go to Babylon, but about 10 years after, after Ezekiel goes. So Ezekiel goes in the first deportation or people leaving or being taken from uh, Israel, being taken from Judah, Jerusalem, and taken to, to Babylon. And Ezekiel is there. Uh, and it says in Ezekiel chapter 1 that it's, it says in the 30th year, and the, the way that we, we look at that, well, there's, no, there's no reason historically for it to be the 30th year. It's not the 30th year after he's been taken from Israel. It's not the 30th year in any historical event. So what we seem to think is it's Ezekiel's 30th birthday and on Ezekiel's 30th birthday he's sitting by the the riv river Chibar uh, which is probably more than likely not actually a river but probably a, an irrigation canal and he's probably in something that would be what we would consider a refugee camp okay uh, he's taking so you know again Daniel goes to Babylon 
And we know Daniel, he gets to interact with the king and he, you know, he he's a, a, becomes a leader. So you got two different people here. Daniel, who's going to come 10 years later, and he gets to associate with and deal with and have the opportunity to make influence on the leadership of the Babylonians. Ezekiel doesn't have that opportunity. Ezekiel's just one of the people that the Babylonians take and use as servants or as slaves or as punishment for the Israelites or the the kingdom of Judah uh, to, to show them, hey, we're the ones in power. We're the ones in charge. So in Ezekiel chapter 1, on what is probably his 30th birthday, which is important, he's sitting beside this river, and it's important that it's his 30th birthday, because when you're 30, if you're a part of the tribe of Levi, which Ezekiel was, on your 30th birthday is when you are installed as a priest. So on his 30th birthday, he would have been, if everything was all right back in Judah, this would have been a momentous day for him. A tremendous day, a blessed day, a day that he had probably, as a young Levite, had looked forward to his entire life. I finally get to be a priest of the Lord God Almighty. But instead, he's sitting by the side of this irrigation canal in a refugee camp in a foreign land with probably hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of other refugees. And he's there, and it's not a, not a celebratory scene He's probably pretty bummed out, pretty down, pretty sad. In the midst of that scene, he receives a vision in chapter 1. And the vision, vision culminates with, there's a lot of details that we're not going to take the time to, to go into, but the vision culminates with this idea that the glory of God appears to Ezekiel in Babylon. And that seems like that's a great thing. That's an amazing thing. What a great opportunity. What a great blessing to have the, the glory of God appear to you in Babylon on your 30th birthday, this day that you would have become a priest. That seems like a good thing, but it bothers him because where's the glory of God supposed to be? The glory of God is supposed to be upon the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem, but that's not where the glory of God is. Instead, it's in Babylon. Now, you can look at that in one of two ways, and maybe both of these things are true. Number one, it probably bothers him because the glory of God is supposed to be with his people in Jerusalem, and it's not there. And there's lots of reasons, and Ezekiel is is going to be the one who tells the Israelites, tells the people of Judah, hey, God's not with you because of all your evilness, because of all your wickedness so that there's one way that you could look at it and that's probably true another way that you can look at it that is also potentially true is that God is showing Ezekiel that his glory is not confined to the Israelites his glory is not confined to Jerusalem his glory his power his majesty extends all around the world and even beyond would be another lesson perhaps that he could take and that we could take as well Ezekiel the priest becomes Ezekiel the prophet he doesn't have the opportunity to be a priest That was taken from him. But he does become a prophet. And he's a prophet to uh, the Israelites. He's a prophet to the kingdom of Judah. Now he's in Babylon, but he prophesies and he tells and he instructs and he commands and he guides the people of Babylon or the Israelites that are in Babylon. But also he writes back and tries to tell the people in Jerusalem, hey, you got to get things right because if you don't, God is promising you a coming destruction. And in Ezekiel's chapters 4 and 5 especially, that he has some, some what we might call parables. He acts these things out. It's almost like a, a street performer in a way, but he's doing it for this religious uh, prophetic purposes. And there's some really strange stuff that Ezekiel does in order to try and get this message across of Jerusalem. Israelites, you need to repent. The first thing he does is he builds 
uh, a miniature model of the city of Jerusalem. And then he has little soldiers that he sits around. It almost looks like a child playing with army men or Legos or something like that. And he sits it out and, and he's showing these people, hey, this, this is what God says is going to happen. The, 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 the Jerusalem's going to be surrounded by, by armies and destroyed if we don't straighten out, if we don't repent. And another one that, again, is strange, and I, I'm not going to take the time to explain it because I don't know that I understand it. He cuts all his hair off, and then after he cuts his hair off, he takes a sword and he chops it up. Why does he do that? I don't know. Well, you can look at Ezekiel 4 and 5 and maybe figure that out for yourself. But then in, in probably the oddest one, he lays on his side uh, for over a year eating food that is cooked over feces. And he does this for two reasons. He's laying on his side and he's bound like the scapegoat would be on the Day of Atonement. Uh, the Day of Atonement is again, it's something you read about in, in, in Exodus, something you read about in the Old Law. And on the Day of Atonement, they had, they had two animals. One of them was slaughtered for the sins, and then one of them had all of the sins metaphorically placed upon it, and it was cast out into their wilderness. Taking the idea that the sins of the people are being taken away from them. So he plays the role of the scapegoat bound and, and tied up like it would have been laying on his side for over a year. And then the reason that he has this food, and the only food that he eats for over a year is food that's cooked over feces, okay? Why does he do that? Symbolizing just how bad things are going to get in Jerusalem when God carries out this punishment that he's promising. These are the types of things, these are the types of ways they would prepare food in the days that were were to come that God is promising them if they don't straighten out, if they don't listen. So he's warning, he's warning the Israelites, both those in Babylon and those that are still remaining in Judah, he's warning them that, that punishment is going to come and then he receives probably what will be the worst message that any prophet could receive, anyone who would proclaim the word of God. And he does this for seven years, but he, but he receives at some point during that seven-year period, after maybe before he's done these things, after he's done these things, after he re- certainly sees the, the glory of God and receives this, this new job, no longer a priest, but a prophet, God tells him, no one's going to listen to you. Ezekiel, I want you to do this. I want you to prophesy. I want you to tell these things. I want you to, to do these things. I want you to, uh, to act out these things. I want you to make sure that people know what I'm talking to you about and what's coming upon them. But Ezekiel, I want you to understand nobody's going to listen. Nobody's going to do, nobody's going to change their life because of anything you say. And yet he continues to do it. After about seven years of prophesying in Ezekiel chapter 33, someone comes from Jerusalem and tells him, Jerusalem has been destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar and his army come, came again and, and they've destroyed the city. They've entered into the temple. This is the things that we read about in Daniel chapter 1. They've entered into the temple. They've taken the holy things of the temple and brought them back to their gods here in Babylon. Ezekiel, what you have been saying for these seven years, it's happened. Imagine the, the emotional ride, mostly lows, that Ezekiel has been on, taken from his home on his 30th birthday, which was supposed to be a significant day for him. Nothing, uh, the thing that he expects to happen doesn't happen. He does have the, the glory of God appears to him, but that concerns him, but it's amazing. And then he's got these seven years and these weird things that he does and no one listens to him. And finally, the punishment comes upon him. 
from Ezekiel 33 to the end of the chapter, and even a little bit before this, we, we still receive, even though he's been, uh, Ezekiel has been prophesying and prophesying and warning and telling people, hey, you've got to make a change. You've got some serious sins going on in your life as a people, as a nation, as a, as a group of people. You, we've got to make some changes here. This is, this is why these things are happening to us. There's still always a little bit of a sprinkling of hope, but especially after 33, after chapter 33, and, and the fulfillment of the, the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem, there seems to be a little bit of hope. And then we get to ex- ex- Exodus, uh, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. And you may be familiar with this, but I want us to read through Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14, the valley of dry bones. And we see this valley transformed. Let's read it. Ezekiel 37, starting in the verse 1. The hand of the Lord God was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord God and, ca- and caused me to rest in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Now, again, when we think about this, is this a vision? Is this something that actually happens? I, I don't know, probably a vision based on what's going to happen, but, but in the midst of these, these tragedies and these things that have been going on, he, he's brought out by the Spirit of God to a valley, and it's full of bones. Verse 2, he caused me to pass among them all around, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. These are old, dry, bitter bones. Verse 3, he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord Yahweh, you know. There's, there's one, uh, a great answer for uh, when you have an opportunity, if you were to have an opportunity to speak with God and God asks you a question. We know Jesus, when, when he's talking with people, how does he often answer questions? He often answers questions with questions. And here this, this God is speaking to Ezekiel and he sees this valley of dry bones and, and God asks him a question. Hey, son of man, can, can these bones live again? And our answer would be, if it was just up to me, there's no way. These bones aren't just dead. They're, they're dry and brittle, and they've been dead for a long time. And this will play into the, what the meaning of this vision is later. But notice what he says. He says, oh, Lord, you know. You know, God. You know the answer to this. You know the hope. The only way that it could happen, it would be through you. He, he's putting it back on God. In verse, verse number four, then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you so that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you, make flesh come upon you, cover you with skin and put breath into you that you may come alive and you will know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold a rumbling and the bones came together bone to its bone and I looked and behold sinews were on them and flesh came upon them and skin covered them but there was no breath in them I, I wish that I could do a, a an adequate job of trying to help you visualize this but ha- have you can you imagine this have you heard other uh you know descriptions of this what it might look like if you're familiar with the the podcast holy ghost stories uh that holy ghost stories when they talk about exodus 37 and and the valley of dry bones he he does a great job talking about all the medical terms about what this would look like so if you're familiar with that or willing to listen to it that'd be a great one to to listen to and and think about this but it's described here as very step by step that there's this valley of dry bones and then all of a sudden it seems like they're they're rattling and you know one bone connects to another bone and we could sing the the bone song but i don't know it well enough uh, but they all, they all come together, right? And they all match up perfectly. And it seems like the, this valley of dry bones with just bones scattered all over it. Maybe there's, there's skeletons standing up on it. And then the sinews and the, the, the workings and the, all the stuff that just makes up our, our body and our muscles and the flesh come upon it. And then finally the, the skin comes upon it. But did you notice the last phrase of what we read? 
but there was no breath in them. There was no breath in them. Well, this might remind us, and especially what happens next, this might remind us of what happens in the creation story. Remember, let us make man in our image, in the image of God. Let us create them, male and female. Let us create them. And he makes them out of the dust of the ground, the dirt of the ground. And then what does he do? He breathes the breath of life into them. And then they're alive. You see right now this valley of dry bones, while more alive than it was, it's still dead. It's a body now. It's not, no longer just uh, bones and skeletal uh, remains, but now it's just a dead body. Verse number 9, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath that the Lord, that thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these who were killed, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great military force. Now we're not exactly told the, the details here. Why is it called an exceedingly great military force? Why is it not just a great, a large group of people? Uh, what, what's, what's, what's going on there? What's the, 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 the distinction there? Is there? Has armor also come upon them? What, what, else is, what else has happened? But he describes it as a, a, a great military force that has been formed here. Verse number 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, and here's the application that God says to Ezekiel, These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I will open up your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord God when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I... The Lord God have spoken and done it, declares the Lord God. Here he says that the, what, this, what this is representing is, you know, Israel, you know, the, the Israelites, if you think back just briefly to Israelite history, we talked about this, the southern kingdom of, of Judah, the two tribes there. You had the northern ten tribes. It was the kingdom of Israel. And years before, decades before, they had been taken into uh, Assyrian captivity. And then the Babylonians come and, and they uh, overtake the Assyrians. So now they've got all of those Israelites that have been taken away into captivity. And then now what we're talking about here in Ezekiel is the Babylonians have come and they've taken Judah. So there is no longer a nation of God's people. There is a scattering of God's people throughout the world mostly in Babylon, taken captive there. And, it, and they say, because finally perhaps they've recognized and they've realized from chapter 33 where Jerusalem fell and, and now uh, uh, some time later, they've realized our bones are dried up, our hope has perished, we have nothing. And God says, look, Israelites, I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to cause you to come back to life. We think about application. What's the application today of Ezekiel 37 for you and me? What's the application today? Now, it was a, a, a vision then, an analogy, a metaphor then. But what did it mean for the Israelites, specifically during their time? That at some point in the future, God was going to bring them back to the land of Israel. God was going to restore their nation. God was going to, to bring them back. And we know that later on that, that happens. Re again, reading in the story of Daniel and, and other places, we know historically from the Old Testament that this thing happened. What's, what's the application for us today? There are some who are here perhaps and 
many, 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 many people who are in the world that are like that valley of dry bones. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it tells us that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. And not just a little bit dead, but we were dried up, brittle old bones. And there's an invitation that God gives to us and that God gives to the lost today. I want to make you live. I want to give you a future and a hope. I want to help you in this life. Again, like Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, there's, there's a difference between being, being animated, being alive, and, and having real, true, meaningful life, the life that Jesus offers to us. And there's the difference there between this valley of dry bones and hopefully what we are supposed to be living as Christians. But even, even further, if we go back to Ezekiel chapter 36, I want to read again what BJ read to us earlier. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 22 through 28. I want us to recognize uh, a blessing for us especially, or a, maybe not a blessing, maybe what it is is a realization. There's an invitation to the, to the world and to the lost, and if that's you this morning, God is offering you something better, something greater than what the world has to offer. God is offering you the forgiveness of your sins, and he's offering you the opportunity to have a life that's better than any life you can have without him. He's offering us a transformation that we can be his people, part of his family, but for those of us who are already that, we need to have a realization here like the Israelites needed to have in Ezekiel's day. Look again at Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 24. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you have come. I will prove the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord God, declares the Lord, when I prove my, myself holy among you in their sight. And I will take you from the nations, gather you from all their lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle you clean, will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to do my judgments and you will inhabit a land which I gave to your fathers so you will be my people and I will be your God. Again, let's notice a few things here as we wrap up. First of all, there's an invitation that God offers to us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, at some point, whether this is you today or has been you in the past, at some point in your life it's been everyone, everyone who's ever lived. We've been dead in our transgressions and our sins. We've been like those dried up bones, maybe probably, probably not even realizing it. Probably not even recognizing the, the idea that, we, that our sins separate us from God, separate us from the true life that he offers to us. There's an invitation for you this morning, if you're not a Christian, to take part in that. But then there's also this idea of a, of a transformation. I love this, the language that God uses frequently in the Bible. Uh, certainly in the Old Testament, talking mostly about the, the Israelites, the, the Jews, uh, but in the New Testament, talking about anyone who would be a follower of Christ. The idea that, that we can be his people and that he will be our God. And he says that in Ezekiel 36 specifically. Think about Second uh, Peter chapter 3 where it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
right? This, this, this beautiful picture. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, talking about those, those faithful men and women of the Old Testament, it says they were, were, that he was not ashamed to be called their God. This, this, this beautiful picture of family that God is offering to us. This beautiful, beautiful picture that, that he would claim you. Can, you. can you imagine that? That the creator of the universe looks down and sees you and says, my son, my daughter, I love you. That he claims you. That he wants you. That he loves you. And that we have the opportunity to, to look back up to God and say, you are my God. To look to Jesus, to claim Jesus and name him, you are the Lord of my life. And I want to be who you want me to be. This relationship that is more than just this, this term of God and people, but is a relationship that God is offering us to be a part of. And then there's also this idea that there's a, a realization that we need to have. And in, in Ezekiel chapter 36 that we just read, uh, God says, listen, Israelites, it's not because of any good thing that you've done that I'm about to act. It's not because you're so great that I'm about to be great. No, it's because of my holy name. It's because of who I am and who I want the world to know that I am. The world needs to know that there is a great and holy and mighty and good God. And that, because of that, God says, I'm about to act. I'm about to show people just how good I am. And it's not because you're good, Israelites. Today we might say, it's not because I'm good. It's not because we're good that God is good. But he says, I'm going to do this thing so that you will know, Israelites, so that you will know, Christians, and so that the world will know who I am. There's this this realization that we need to have as followers of God that every blessing that you have, God has given it to you so that the world may know that he is holy. Have you ever thought of it that way? That every blessing that God has given to you is so that you will know and the world will know that God is holy. Does that change your mind about how you spend your money? Does that change your mind about how you spend your time? Does that change your mind about what your goals are in this life? Everything you have, your talents, your abilities, your financial blessings, every opportunity that you have, God has blessed you with those things, not because we are so good, but because he's so great and holy and mighty and powerful so that we may know and the world may know that he is holy. When we think about this idea of being better, think about this idea of seeking something greater than what the world has to offer. God wants to bless us immensely. He wants to bless his entire creation immensely. He has done that from the beginning and he will to the end. He does these things, but it's not, and it will never be because you are so great or I am so great because in reality, without God, what are we? We're those dry bones, aren't we? We may be animated and walking around, but without God and certainly without the blessings of, of, of Christianity and His Spirit within us, then we're really just, we may be alive, but we're really not living the way God has intended for us to live. This morning, what I, what I really want to just leave with you is, the Israelites needed to learn a lesson, and their punishment came upon them, and it was deserved. They deserved everything that happened to them. 
to them. And the reality is, if, if we'd have got everything that we deserved, we would be in a world of hurt. But instead, God has blessed us and blessed us immensely. And we need to be thankful to God and look to God and, and, and allow those blessings to, to point us to God and to realize who he is. But, but even a step beyond that, God has given you everything he has given you so that other people can know that he is good and holy and that he exists. I quote this verse a lot. It's the first verse I ever learned. It's probably my favorite verse. Matthew five fourteen through 16. Jesus says, you, speaking to anyone who would follow him, those who followed him on that day, speaking to you today as a follower of Jesus, you are the light of the world. A city set upon a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put a basket over it, but instead they sit it where it will give light to the entire room. Let your light shine before God in such a way that others may see your good works and glorify your God who is in heaven. That's our job. It's our privilege. It's our honor. And it's God's expectation that everything you have will remind you of how good God is and that you will use those things to point people to him. Let's pray. God, this morning we come to you and we are just uh, in awe of the fact that you have given us the privilege to worship you this morning. Uh, to come into your throne room and to bow our heads and our knees and our lives to you. God, you are good. You are holy. You are mighty and powerful. This story in Ezekiel, you, you displayed that through this ability that you could have to even with a valley of dry bones to bring them back to life and lord some of us can look to our lives or certain moments in our lives or situations in our lives and we can we can see how you've brought us back to life from very difficult times lord thank you thank you for blessing us in all the ways you have lord help us to to never be ungrateful or to be apathetic towards the blessings you give to us And Lord, help us to use these things not only for our own glory, but to to point people to you, Father. Lord, there are people that are living today that are lost. People that I know and that so many other people here know. Our family members, our neighbors, our co-workers, the person sitting beside us even in this moment that are lost. uh, That just don't have a relationship with you and may not even realize what they're missing. Lord, help us to share the gospel with them. Lord, help us to to share your goodness with them. Help us to praise you in all things, Lord. And we pray and we trust that as we plant that seed, you will give the increase. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. This morning there is an invitation. It is not my invitation. It's not the invitation of the elders that are here. It's not an invitation of anyone who's in this room except for the presence of God himself. And he invites you this morning that if you're not a Christian, if you have not become a follower of his, he tells us in his word how you can do that. If you believe that some 2,000 years ago Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, he was put in a grave because he was dead, and then on the third day he arose from the grave. If you believe that, It starts there. If you believe that, that a dead man came back to life through the power of God, and you're willing to say because of that power and because of the way that he lived his life and what he commands of me and the things that I read about him and his father in this word, 
If you believe that and you're willing to name him as the Lord of your life, then you can become a Christian today through repenting of your sins and being baptized into Christ where you come in contact with his blood and that blood washes away your sins. And you know what will happen then? You'll begin a process of change. You will not be exactly who God wants you to be in that moment, but all of your sins, all of your mistakes, all of your failures, God will have forgiven you of those things. And he will promise you, and he does promise you, to continually forgive you every time you fail. Because you won't do it perfectly. I don't do it perfectly. No one sitting here does it perfectly. We fail, we mess up, we fall short. But God is good, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. If you're interested in having a life that has more meaning than any other kind of life can, through the blood of Jesus, and then sharing that same hope, with people around you, then we want to talk to you. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian this morning, let's remember those blessings God has given to us, he has given to us because he loves you and he cares about you, but not just because of you, but because he wants you to use those things to show other people his holiness, his goodness, his greatness. And we have that opportunity every day. If you're struggling in sin, that's not a surprise It's not unheard of. It's not shocking. All of us struggle with sin sometimes. If you need help with that, we want to be here for you. And if you want to come forward when we stand and sing this song, you can. But let somebody know so they can help you and pray for you. And you can get back on the right track with God, especially if you've wandered away. If there's anything we can do for you this morning, we invite you to come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.